Can you hear me better now? I can hear you better now. I didn't realize that I couldn't hear you so well. But then something happened at the end of our last podcast, Father Harrison. We're just chatting away. We're just chatting away. Yeah. And then I have a sudden gasp of horror. Because I'm I'm just looking around my computer as making sure everything's plugged in as it should be. And I noticed something. My USB cord for my microphone was not plugged into my computer. <laughs> so I apologize, folks, about my sound quality on the last episode. Uh, Father Harrison's just being an idiot. You know, it's it's been a while since we've had this gaffe. We've had it before. I think it this happens. makes episode five. That yeah, at it least happens one more on us... my end than yours. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm winning now because it's happened to me twice. It's happened to you three, three times. times. Yeah. <laughs> so we're good now. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So um, I guess it, uh, now it would be like a couple weeks ago and again next week. So I started uh, I started something really fun that I was like, wow, this is just a lot of fun. Uh, so I've posted this a bit on Twitter about how I started. Uh, I'm offering an intro to theology class at our cathedral. Oh, yeah. Right. So our cathedral is about two and a half hours away. So I can really like I can't get down there like every week or anything like that. So what we're doing is we're offering like a Friday night session and a Saturday morning session once a month. For oh, five okay, months, cool, right? Cool. Yeah. So I do two lectures on Friday night, two lectures on Saturday morning. So we did our first session um, a couple weeks ago on fundamental theology. Like, what is theology? Uh, who uh, Who is God and does he exist? What does it mean to be human? And what is and faith and reason? Those were the four talks I gave. Yeah, we had we had we had over eighty people, and they all wanted to learn about Jesus. Yes, and theology. And even theology. Had some podca- we even had some podcast listeners there. I, had, oh, I, was, nice. I was very grateful. I had some stickers in my bag. Like, <laughs> I hear about these stickers. I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 here you go. Um, but I got to be honest, I had so much fun. Because you got to teach things and talk about the things you like. And I got to teach things I really like to teach and talk about. Yeah. I love theology. Like, I just really, 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 really love theology. And I haven't done anything like that really since I've gotten to my parish. Now, it's not a knock against my parish or anything like that. It's right. just, I mean, the needs here are different. So, and, and, and that's the thing about being a priest sometimes. Sometimes you have to be willing to sacrifice. Um, you got to be willing to sacrifice some of your talents even sometimes for the sake of your people. Not that I can't teach them or anything like that, but it's it's a different thing here. It's, and sure. it's just fine, yeah. right? I just, it's just a different form of teaching here. But I haven't done stuff like that for a long time. And I loved it. And I'm like, I want to do more of this. Yeah, that's cool. It was just funny hearing questions and comments and people telling me how already they were kind of appreciating it. And 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 then on top of that, um, for the young adults group, I'm helping out a little bit at my bishop's parish. Um, we're doing Theology of the Body, so I'm really going all in on that. Nice. And we're only doing it till the end of March. And I'm looking it over. I'm like, yeah, we're only going to get through um, man bef- pre-lapsarian man, man before the fall. That's all we're getting through. I last talk I gave was just on six pages of, of <laughs> it in, an, in one hour. Yeah, but it's like I'm like I don't know. I I love to teach, mm-hmm. as you know. I love to talk, um, and like I came away from that on Saturday. Like I went home upstairs on Friday night, and I was driving back on Saturday morning, pumped and full of energy. It was like it's so life giving for me. And I realized I got to find ways to do more of this because I love to teach. And it's something I've always wanted to do with a great amount of regularity in my priesthood. Yeah, it points to something like we we love being priests and we love serving parishes. But also each priest has different things that they have uh, passion about and they're different kind of ministries that in a particular way give us life. Uh, so, so for some priests, it might be uh, preaching. For some priests, it might be spiritual direction. For other guys, it's different sort of stuff. Like I have uh, priest friends who write and get themselves published and that's something they mm-hmm. enjoy and they make time mm-hmm. for, but yeah. it's not something they do as a part of their parish ministry, but they yeah. have to do it. Um, so that they can have those kind of other life-giving experiences so that right. you're ready to do the things that either um, you're good at but don't give you as much life for whatever reason, just whatever. Um, or, you know, we also have to do a lot of things we don't like to do, you know, right. like uh, for most of us, paperwork. Right. <laughs> so it's good. I'm glad it's you're just doing like family, that. And families have to do that too, right? Like if you're in yes. marriage, you know, just no one likes to 
clean up the mess after your kids or anything like that. But sometimes you have to do it because you love your family, yeah. right? And you find other things that are life-giving for you. So it's important to find, like, I think it's always important for a priest to find those that, those one or two things. Like, because I like to write too. Like, I like writing. I like teaching. Like, I just love talking about theology. And so we're already in conversation of offering another course in the fall at the cathedral. Uh, probably Theology of the Body. But it'd have yeah. to be more general than what I'm doing with the young adults right now. But at least I have a starting point with some notes for that. So it's been, it's been a lot and a lot of fun. And I just want to teach more. I just love yeah, to teach. Uh, so yeah, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm uh, Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And uh, speaking of things that give us life, so I, uh, one of my jobs is that I'm a chaplain at a college here. It's a Presbyterian college, but they have a Newman club, which is basically a Catholic club, and yeah. I'm their chaplain. So I offer mass for them Saturday nights. Uh, I do a bunch of other stuff, but their main meeting is Tuesday night at nine o'clock, yeah. which is a ridiculous time to do things, but hey, this is college. And so the way it was structured is that every other week is kind of a business meeting because they do different projects and they plan for mass and all that jazz. And every other, the opposite weeks were apologetics night. And the idea was that one of the students would offer kind of like a little po- apologetics reflection about mm-hmm. something. So they would talk about the rosary or something else. And to be honest, my first year, I was kind of more just observing how they did things. And I began to notice that a lot of times the apologetics nights were kind of either skipped a little bit or no offense to my students, but sometimes maybe not thoroughly researched so much. Right. And the thing is like, they are so busy because they're doing all of the academic courses. Uh, a lot of them are music majors or they do sports and they're overwhelmed. So I decided, you know what, let's change this. For those nights, instead of you guys doing something, let's just do a Bible study. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is bring a Bible and if you can read the scripture beforehand, that's great. But if not, that's okay. We'll read it a little bit and talk about it then. Uh, so that's what we'll do. So we're gonna do the Gospel of Matthew. And the other night we did our first one and it was super fun. Uh, we kind of did a half business meeting, half scripture thingy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about it for a half hour, but it was it was great. And just talking about a little bit of background of the scripture that I can give them and then reflecting on how it relates to your life and everything. And it was great. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some uh, advice about how to run things from a good friend of mine. And uh, it was very helpful. And mm-hmm. it was great. So I'm really looking forward to this now because I think it's awesome. easier for them. It's fun for all of us. And it's something that can deepen the faith more. So. Nice. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, university ministry is really, it's a lot of fun. It is. It's tough because I have so much ministry here that I can't right. like just be on campus and do stuff. Right, like you're not like a full-time chaplain on yeah, campus. Yeah, nor would I there. know even what to do because I've never done college ministry before. Right. But um, having this group, I'm kind of learning as I go and it's uh, it's good. How many people come to your group? So there's maybe like 10 people in our group, maybe eight people show up a night. Okay. Um, you know. Uh, have you ever thought about offering a meal too? There would be no place to uh, do that. Sorry. I mean, like we get pizza sometimes, That's but good. um, yeah, yeah, we're kind of limited in that in that sense. Gotcha. But we're gonna be doing a retreat in a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and one of the students is gonna be uh, cooking because she wants to do that. So I'm looking forward to that. Nice, nice, great. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're gonna enter into a time of leisure Ooh, with this retreat. Yes, right? exactly, definitely leisure. Well, let's talk about leisure in our first tweet in the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica Summa Tweetologica We talk about the Father Harrison, I don't know yeah. if you know this, but it turns out that leisure is actually the basis of culture. Did I you know this. that? I did know ah, this. Ah, okay, cool. So yes, what's, what's, yes. what's the tweet? <laughs> well, so the Summa uh, Theological St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of things on, uh, uh, was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of things uh, of the faith, and the Summa Tweetological is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So the first one is from William at Amarius Quay. It's the second tweet in a thread of his, I'm teaching leisure, the basis of culture, one of our favorite books, uh, this term. This, and the term being um, um, 
the uh, sufficient wage, like living wage. Okay. Uh-huh. And I was struck by these two quotations where in which he's um, juxtaposing Stalin and quadragesimos anno. The economic thinking typical of both capitalists and socialists versus the social teaching of the church. And so these are the quotes. Some Stalin says, the worker must be paid according to the work done and not according to his needs. Now, Quadragesimo Anno says, the worker has the right to a wage sufficient to support himself and his family. So what I find interesting about that is that the church sees wages not so much in terms of what is done, but as what is needed to live. And you hear like living wage, living wage a lot. But then like, yeah, actually like, I don't know, for some reason it just really struck me to say like, no, no, the church actually has is saying has nothing to do even necessarily with skill. But if you're, if you're, if you're working at McDonald's and you got a family of three, you need to be paid enough to support the family, not according to the work you've done. And I find that some people are going to find that very challenging. Mm-hmm. But guess what? This is the whole point of being Catholic. The, the magisterium is there to challenge us to be holy. So let's be challenged. Yeah, it, it, it's difficult because the you have to go back a little bit. The church's yeah. idea of what government is is different than the principles our government was founded on. Yeah. Like the Western, more modern idea is that government's kind of this necessary evil, that we need a government to protect our rights, but it's something that you just kind of have to deal with. It's it's the lesser of whatever evil. But the church's idea of government is it should be established for people to come together and it should aid in human flourishing. So it's a very positive idea of what government, society, culture is supposed to be, to aid right. in human flourishing. So the church is working out of this idea that in a justly, rightly ordered society, the job that you do would be sufficient to support your family. Um, but also other things go into that as well. And like in a really just society, you could have a situation where families could support each other as well. There's, yeah. there's a lot that goes in the Catholic social teaching. So the difficulty for us in the West is that um, our economic structures aren't set up in the way where this is um, practically feasible. So yeah. the challenge then for Catholics is, okay, so what do we do with this? We're in the situation. It's not ideal, but we do have the ideals that the church teaches us. So how can we, in a really serious way, begin to work this out? And I think what happens is a lot of people just say, this is impractical, this is impractical so forget about it. You know, Or some people, a lot of Catholics, are their first passion was not the faith in America. Their first passion mm-hmm. was politics and economics. That's the first thing they got angry about. That's the first thing they argued about in high school with passion was mm-hmm. right versus left and that kind of stuff. And that's not a Catholic way of approaching the faith. So, right. yeah, it's challenging. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this or have answers mm-hmm. for this. But, um, yeah, I think it's something that we need to consider more seriously. Well, it also shows, like, the whole point of work. Like, it also demonstrates a different view of work. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the the quote from Stalin, which I think is something that can be attributed to either like socialism, communism slash or or, or, um, capitalism. Yeah. Work is according to the economic value you bring. While for the Catholic, it's not just something that we do to earn a living for our family, but it's like as John Paul II likes to teach about that it's something inherent to our dignity as, as human beings right that man worked prior to the fall it's not a punishment for um, sin but it's actually integral to our nature and our mission but that this idea then work is actually at service for the life of the family not in service of a job for job's sake so it's not about finding jobs that bring fulfillment necessarily all the time but it's about a sense of working for the good of my family. which yeah. well, and, and I know a lot of Catholics who do this, who work jobs they're not the happiest with even sometimes. Well, I'm not saying... They I'm straight not, up hate, right. Yeah, I'm not even saying sometimes that you should be like, you know, you should say this job you hate or whatever. But I also know people, like, they got, you know, they got a lot of degrees, but for whatever reason, can't find work and are working in different jobs and, and they love it too, to an extent, right? Like, they, But they're doing what they need to do for the good of their family. And right. that's such an important thing to do. Mm-hmm. That work is for at service to your family, not in service to a career. Yeah, I agree. That's good. Cool. Okay, so this is one that is from <laughs> from Cursed Protestant Nonsense, 
at ProtNonsense. Yeah. Before I read this, I will say that there are many good and reasonable Protestants who listen to our podcast. Yes. Okay. So I this is not a jab at you, but this is interesting. This is a thing. So the the tweet is gonna be a yikes from me. Now, as you know, a few weeks ago, um, Kobe Bryant died in a car crash along with his daughter. Okay. And a lot of people have been talking about, I didn't realize this, that Kobe was a Catholic and uh, a repentant and uh, practicing Catholic mm-hmm. uh, as well, which I had, I had no idea about because I don't uh, know anything about sports. Um, and the headline in this tweet is, Kobe Bryant reportedly attended mass hours before helicopter crash. Now, if you're Catholic, you're like, of course he did. It was Sunday. So he went to mass and then went to do you know basketball things. But uh, a lot of the responses are from kind of hardline Protestants that say stuff. If he died believing Catholic doctrine, he is in hell burning until the great white throne of judgment. Then he will be cast into like a fire. That is the truth. So a lot of people going after Kobe for his theology when he has died. Now, most Protestants I know maybe disagree with Catholic theology, mm-hmm. but they're not going to respond to a post the day after he's died saying he's going to hell because that's not what a good human being does. Right. But the fact that some people have done this is, you know, for a reminder that, you know, the, the it's tough on the internet because it's a different medium, but you also have to remember that, like, when you're talking about something serious, you need to take a more pastoral tone about stuff. Like, if a, a Protestant preacher dies... I'm, I'm, and the headline is he was uh, rebaptized. I'm not gonna be like, well, his first baptism counted, and now he knows that he's a Catholic in heaven. I'm not gonna say that in the moment, right? Because that's not the time to say my own beliefs. For me, as a Catholic, especially, it's time just to pray for that person. Right. So, big yikes for people saying that Cody Bryant is in hell because he's Catholic. That's just not a Christian way to go and about things. Just to add on, like, and it's interesting reading these comments, like how miss like mass won't save anyone's soul I'm like it that's in a way that's i mean mass doesn't like it's jesus who saves the soul through the mass right right like it's actually jesus who is the source of salvation the mass is is one of the main instruments he uses for us to be saved through but it's not the source of salvation jesus is right or they go on to say um money or penance or good works uh or anything like that will save us I'm like well we never said it did like that's my other right. thing. Like, they're, they're, I'm like, there's a misunderstanding. We, never, we yeah. never said anything like that, right? So it's just it's very interesting the misconceptions out there too. But it, it's just, uh, or it's like, um, yeah, it's just it's very interesting. And the American evangelical tradition is such a interesting thing for me to just observe from a distance. Yes, yes, it is interesting at the very least. All right, we got a breaking breaking tweet. I just saw this. I'm excited. How excited are you? I'm very excited. You can't see, but I'm excited in an Italian manner. I am showing this with my hand gestures, how excited I am. All right. Go ahead, Harrison. From at Emojipedia. New in Emoji 13.0. Pinched fingers with skin tone support. And so think about your most stereotypical Italian hand gesture... Like that hand right gesture is gonna be an emoji. Finally, I can express myself fully. I'm very <laughs> excited for this. So, will you will you put a, a pinched finger after every word that you would use to emphasize it with a, with a pinched fingers? You know, at least after every um, every text, every time I I do any sort of thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the one thing that oh, will. Oh. I, it's what? like air quotes. You put you put pinch fingers at the beginning, at the oh. end. Let people know you're doing this. You're, you're you're throwing your hand back and forth the whole time to emphasize the point. Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> if you know me, you know this about me. I I never get tired of Italian jokes. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I have this weird self-deprecating part of my personality. But like every time I see Italian joke, I just love it so much. Maybe it's a vain thing that Italians just like it when someone's talking about them, good or bad. I don't know what it is. But I love it. I love all the stereotypes because a lot of them tend to be true in my family. And mm-hmm. I find that delightful. And so the fact that we can finally, the people of God, the Italians, can finally express themselves via social media, uh, via text, with a, an emoji. Praise God. Just so, praise God. I mean, really, this is a time to rejoice for all Catholics then. Yes, because. Right. Yeah. You know why, well, Harrison? I know why. You say it. Yeah, because every Catholic is Italian by virtue of their baptism. 
Yeah. There you go. That's a real theology truth. At for the you. end of baptism, people always yell gabagoo <laughs> instead of amen, right? Well, if you do the right the right way, you know, they updated yeah. it with Vatican II, but the old Latin right. Gabagoo. Uh, you know. <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Gabagoo. It's still it's still an essential part of the right that your baptismal uh, brunch or lunch is I mean, is ravioli. Obviously, so Catholicism is 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 Italian in nature because bishops slap people when they're confirmed. Absolutely, that's part of it as well. Is that, isn't that Italian? That is the it most is. Italian of things. Yes, right. just a little slap, just like hey, what's the matter with you? Like that's you know, yeah, very or, much so. I love you. It's like the old grandma, Italian mm-hmm. grandma, just like slapping on this. Bam. Like just they're so happy to bop. see you, like or smarten up or you know you know whatever. It's just it's it's all very Italian. Just like the hand gesture, there's a yeah. lot of the meaning comes from the context. Exactly. Cool. What okay, so I have a tweet, Father Harrison, that you chose, and I have no idea what it means, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. It's from Friar Nick OFM Conventual <laughs> at Friar Nick OFM. <laughs> And this yeah. is the tweet. Explain it to me. Explain it to the people. He says, reading too much Rene Girard, seeing mimetic contagion everywhere, and the only thing that will free us is the triumph of the cross. What is mimetic contagion? What is Friar Nick talking about? Right. I am so confused. So Rene Girard is a literary theorist of the 20th century uh, who termed the phrase mimetic desire that people express their desire for things through mimesis which is imitation okay mm. so let's say i see that you um let's say and you see this especially among kids right let's say you got a five-year-old and they're playing with a truck then another five-year-old comes along and they see the the other kid playing with the truck what do you think the other five-year-old wants he wants that truck that truck right yes and so I want it because this person has it and it's bringing them joy. I want that joy, et cetera. And so they imitate it. Ah, yeah. yeah. But what, ha- what would happen if the other kid wants the truck? If the other kid wants the truck? Yeah. What well, it's going to cause, he's yeah. going to take the truck. He's going to try to take the truck, which yeah. is going to cause friction and disunity, mm-hmm. et cetera. And Gerard says that this is actually the structure of the human experience that we imitate, that we're imitators by nature but this creates conflict. And his whole point is to say that we actually use scapegoat mechanisms to relieve this growing um, disunity in, in, in various societies and stuff like this. But he says that only the cross of Christ reveals the scapegoat mechanism. It reveals this mimetic desire hmm. and turns it on its head because it actually goes against the grain and, and says, no, there's a new way to live. And so that's why he's saying the cross is the only solution. Nice. That makes a lot more sense. So there you go. Thank you. That's all? That's it? That's all all I got. (laughs) All right. I have no transition. Let's just go in. Yeah, classic, clerically speaking. No transition to this. Uh, Let's go into presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn oh, so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the oh, best part. Oh, yeah. Yes, quite. Yes, quite. All right. So as this drops, on the day this drops, uh, it is my fifth anniversary as a priest. Congratulations! Woo! At the time of recording, I still have Five a week and a half. Five more years. Five more years. <laughs> At the time of my recording, I still have a week and a half left to survive. We, yeah. we always joke about this. I think, though, especially I'd say amongst our generation of priests, I would honestly say for a lot of priests, five years is actually a pretty big deal. Right. Right. And why, why would you say that often is a big deal? Yeah, because this is a stat that was thrown at us all the time in seminary. A little depressing, but the basic statistically, if someone is going to leave the priesthood, statistically, it's most likely that that happens within their first five years. Yeah. So because we had this stat thrown at us so often in seminary, it became a bit of a gallows humor sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, once you make it five years, then you're a real priest, and then you're good to go for the rest of your life. Exactly. So we exaggerate it and play with it. Yeah. But it's a real thing because— It's a real thing. You survived. It, you, yeah, because you're thrown into a church where there's—I don't know if you guys know this, 
but there's a lot of bad press about the church because a lot of bad things have happened. And then, like in my diocese, we're doing all kinds of reorganization. Yeah. There's, you know, guys who are pastors of multiple parishes or guys who are by themselves. They don't live in community as much. It's a really crazy time to be a priest. Yeah. It's not as stable as it used to be. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and like any commitment in life, these little milestones, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years these all have i think they're significant in the life of anyone like if you're married five years is a big deal you might not you know you might not celebrate the same way you'd celebrate like a 25 year anniversary or a 10 year anniversary per se but but it's still it's significant and so i thought because i'm gonna it's starting this is my place to externally process things a little bit because i'm going to preach about that i'm going to be a little self-reflective for my homily on this weekend when i uh, because I think it's, you know, just to kind of reflect on priesthood a bit because it is, Absolutely. we don't, you know, we don't, and, and if we're married, you know, kind of spiritually speaking, we're kind of married to the church, then we need to express ourselves to the bride. Yeah. Right. So that's what I want to kind of do today. I want to reflect on, on five years of priesthood. But, and we so, should okay, actually, first question, yeah, first question, yeah. five years of priest, priesthood, are you for it or against it? For it. Yeah, that's all the questions I had. I have no more questions. I mean, if I was against it, I'd just walk away right now. <laughs> that's also so, true. <laughs> yes, uh, but I thought you know first. I just kind of share a little bit because um, ordination day is is quite the experience. It's like a wedding day for many people. It's, yeah, you know, it, it's it's very important. Um, but I remember, like, I mean, it's different in every diocese. We don't have a lot of ordinations here. So first, the reason I was ordained on February seventh was it was we. I was a deacon and then we lost our bishop. He got moved to a different diocese. And so we weren't with the bishop and the administrator said that he would prefer to leave the choice for ordination to whoever the new guy would be, which is, I think, totally legit and within sure. the administrator's uh, authority. So I listened to that. So they could have imported a bishop for your ordination. Right. But right. They decided to wait until you got assigned your bishop because yeah. that makes sense. So I got assigned to a parish as a deacon first. And then um, our bishop came in in August. He's like, well, let me get to know you a little bit first. I'm just like, I just want to get ordained. <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, um, and uh, so I get to know him for a couple months. And then in November, he calls me into his office. And he says, okay, Harrison, I'm ready to ordain you. And he gives me two dates. I can't, I can't remember the second date. But I chose February 7th. Because it was literally the earliest date possible. Yes, exactly. I'm like, let's get this done. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, and it, this is the interesting thing too. I was his first ordination. He was Bishop of Whitehorse for eight years. They don't have diocesan priests in that diocese because wow. they can't afford to keep, to look after them. Oh, wow. So he's never done it. He'd never done an ordination of a priest before. Wow. So I was Good thing first. he didn't mess it up because that would have been awkward. Yeah. Oops. All those, uh, <laughs> all those uh, confessions Wait, will be a little me, awkward. Show me the tapes. I want to see the tapes. Did he do it? No, I'm sure he did it the right way. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and but so my diocese is essentially more or less left to me to do all the organizing. Oh, like for everything. Yeah, I sat down with the choir director at the cathedral to wow. choose the music. Uh, I chose the altar servers. I got the readers for the mass. Um, all that stuff, right? And then figure out who's going to be deacon because you have classmates who'll fly in or whatever. So, who are deacons and so all that fun stuff. And um, but it got stressful because I also had to kind of. My parents weren't used to this stuff per se at the time, so it was even up to me to organize my reception. Like so, the the, the cathedral reception committee put on like a general reception for people. But then I had a lot of friends who were traveling from out of town, like where the yeah. parish has a deacon at in seminary. Um, when I was in Edmonton, about 40 people came from that parish for my ordination, which was like really cool. So I thought people are traveling. I need to have an opportunity to see them all at once. I didn't do like a dinner thing because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> it was all on my bit, buck, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, what I, what we had like, a, we, we got like, we got like deli meats and, and buns and stuff like that. I had a friend who helped organize it eventually, which was great. But like I had to get it. So I got a little MC for the reception thing. And then on the Friday of, so the Friday of I'm sitting, my parents get into town. I'm having lunch with them and a couple other people. And I get a call from my friend who's supposed to MC the reception. He goes, I can't come. I'm like, oh, what? No. He goes, I'm snowed in. There's a huge snowstorm in Terrace. 
and they're not letting out any flights. I'm like, oh my gosh. And there was a few other things, and I'm just, my phone's just ringing off the hook all day. And I'm like, I'm trying to like spiritually and psychologically prepare for the next day, and all yeah. this stuff's <laughs> happening, right? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is this is nuts. And then, um, so I and I kind of knew it would probably be nuts. So I, obviously, I prayed the night before, obviously. Mm-mm-mm. But I also needed to do something to unwind. And I got, I put together like a 40 person poker tournament. Oh, wow. See, this is amazing. Cause I thought for sure you're going to be like, so I took out 40 books of Ratzinger and just read them all that night. <laughs> exactly. No. And it was actually, it was exactly what I needed. Cause I yeah, had such yeah. a stressful day. That was a great way to unwind. Just hang out with, again, it was another way to see some of the friends who were traveling from out of town and stuff like that. And I, and I, I won 250 bucks that night. But is right. I, just <laughs> but, but it went God was on all, your side. It went, but it went towards all the pop and or all the beer and pizza I bought for, for, the, <laughs> for everyone. So it balanced out. And then the day of the, this is the thing though. So then the day of the ordination. So you're praying. You're stressed out. You're you're you get there an hour early because you just want to be be there early at the cathedral. And and this thing you send out invitations and you have no idea who's going to come. There's no real RSVP or anything like this, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm in the sacristy the whole time, and I was like, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people. I know enough people. I thought, okay, maybe um, maybe we'll fit the bottom area of the cathedral, right? Sure. And then sure. you're st- then you're walking out in the procession from the sacristy, right? And it's like, oh, it's a standing room only at the cathedral, right? Wow. And you're like, yeah. I'm like processing, and I'm like breaking down in tears because I'm also <laughs> overtired, so I'm extra emotional. <laughs> right, right, right. All the emotions are just coming to the surface yeah. right away. Yeah. yeah. So and, and so the ordination, so it's the the ritual goes on, or the the mass goes on, and then um, you know you get called for. The bishop says, "I choose you to be, we 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 elect him to be ordered to the order of presbyters." And this, so my bishop is um, liturgically unique sometimes, right? And in a good way, like it's not a bad way, but it's just <laughs> diplomatically put, yes, yes. But he, um, so all of a sudden, the altar server brings out a second chair while I'm sitting there in the middle of the aisle, waiting for the homily to start. Yeah. And the bishop sits down next to me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so and, like you're both facing the same direction? Yeah. But you're sitting just chilling. Yeah. And he brings out his crozier and um, and he says, I want you to hold this with me. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, and I was like, and he goes, you're, you're going to be sharing. In my, so it's a reflection of sharing in his ministry Aww. and stuff like this, right? That's and really everyone neat. really liked it, right? Like it was really, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's a little liturgically unique, but um, that this is my bishop and, and he did but this out of a pastoral heart. But it also served a purpose that was good. Yes, yeah. Like it and wasn't self-indulgence. It, right? Yeah, it's Everyone beautiful. loved it. So, um, but yeah, it was a really beautiful day. It's a total blur. There's, I'm sure like all weddings are and everything like that. And the generosity of the people of God and celebrating with so many friends and realizing like, because I think this is the first thing for me in recognizing on five years, a vocation is never done in isolation. True. Right. And I looked around and I thought, oh my gosh, literally all these people are here. Yeah. Uh, right? We had one rector who would say um, a priest never goes to the altar alone. Right. Exactly. Even if you're saying mass by yourself, you're never right. alone. Right. And I was struck by all these people who I've gotten to know through one thing or another uh, or who I've done ministry with like you know I'm an extroverted person so I tend to like to get to know people and and just all these people who made the effort to be there that day yeah. actually I even have one person who's a good friend now he hadn't been to mass for a while and actually like the ordination ceremony kind of was a big conversion moment for him no, that's and he's cool. a yeah. practicing Catholic again right which is really cool but um mm-hmm. But that was my thing. I was like, in a way, like this vocation, I actually remember saying this in my thank yous. I said, you know, just remember this vocation wouldn't have been possible without literally everyone here. Yeah. Right. Because that I, you use the people to discern and everything too. Right. So I think that's the first thing is a vocation never happens on its own. So for priesthood to survive and to succeed, you need um, good priest friends who you can hang out with and talk to Absolutely. and debrief with. Mm-hmm. And you need good lay people who you can really be yourself with, share your heart, even share sometimes, like obviously with discretion, but even sharing like stuff that's going on in your parish because they're like, they're far away. They're not in the parish or anything like that, right? Right. Where you're like, I need to hear the other side if I'm trying to work through something or something like that. And that has been such a great gift is the friendships of both the laity and the priests that I've made over these years 
who have helped form me so much in my uh in my priesthood yeah absolutely any, yeah. any thoughts on that I'll yeah and especially you know um so a priest can't be very good friends with all of his parishioners right um i think you'd be friendly with some and yeah. um some that you feel more comfortable around because you just know each other a little bit better and there's a trust there but it's also important to have lay friends who and this you know i think a lot of people don't appreciate or understand uh, what ordination is and what it isn't. And there's right. almost a kind of Manichaean idea around the priesthood that the priesthood, like a priest is an angel and not a human being. Um, and sometimes there's an overemphasis on the human side too. Mm-hmm. Like the priest wants to be buddies with anyone. The priest is just a guy. The priest never goes uh, by father. That's not good. But mm-hmm. you can't lean too far in the other direction as well. So um, I have friends who call me Anthony who are lay people and that's good. That's mm-hmm. normal. They've kind of earned that right because they've known me for so long or they've right. known me before the priesthood. And it's a way to help ground myself uh, in my humanity as well. Mm-hmm. And having lay people that you can be appropriately vulnerable with uh, and get their perspective on things and you can mm-hmm. share some struggles and, of course, a prudent way, um, that is invaluable in a mm-hmm. priest's life. Absolutely. Um, so I want to do some, like, for me, though, too, I don't want to... I think it's important to offer an honest reflection of five years, and I think yeah. it's important to share both the good and the bad. One little quick thing, though, too, I want to share. So I write out like, so I say my I say my mass of Thanksgiving um, on the Sunday at my parish at St. Patrick's, and I had my mentor, Father John, give the homily, um, and it was very good and very supportive. And oh, did you, and you know, you give the um, the cloth that you use to wipe your hands with. The manaturgium. The manaturgium to my mom and a stole to my dad. And obviously we're all bawling at that moment. Um, Absolutely. But, and then on the Monday, this is a little stupid. I was so exhausted on Monday morning when I had to go to the airport. But I decided to get away for three days. And I went down to San Francisco for two days. Or four, four days, I guess. I went to San Francisco for two days. Or 36 hours, really. And to go say mass for all the missionaries and charity communities in San Francisco. There's three of them. And then offer for, and then, or sorry, no, it was just to go to one. But then sister's like, you're here for 36 hours. Okay, so you're going to say mass here. Then you're going to do a holy hour at this community because she wanted me to give first blessings to all of them. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> there's like there's like 60 sisters in San Francisco Dude, in the three first communities. First blessings are exhausting. It's so They're exhausting. They're wonderful, but you were just in line for hours sometimes. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And then the sisters are, um, and the sisters, like the sisters are not touchy. Right. But after first blessing, they're grabbing your hands and kissing them like, <laughs> <laughs> and everything, right? Uh, so that was cool. And then I went to I went to LA to hang out with my sister for 24 hours, went to Disneyland, and then I flew back home. That's um, awesome. It was fun, yeah. But um, I think it's important to show both, yeah, the, the, where and where I even, some weaknesses I've noticed in myself as I've grown into priesthood, things I recognize I'm good at, things I recognize I could still grow in, um, and some of the help that people have offered me over the years, I think, are really important. And the first thing I kind of want to mention, the thing, it's, obviously, I love the Mass. Yes. Right? I do love the Mass. But the thing I've really come to, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, the sacrament that speaks most to my heart as a priest is the sacrament of confession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think you're alone in that. I think a lot of priests share the same thing because I think the the for you can give your reasons, but the sacrament yeah. of reconciliation, not only is there the sacramental presence of the priest that we get to exercise, mm-hmm. but there's also that kind of pastoral one-on-one. And I think what gives a lot of priests life is that kind of one-on-one interaction with people that you can help them in a deep sort of concrete way where sometimes at the mass, even though the sacrifice itself is beautiful and amazing Mm -hmm. and we love preaching and that sort of thing. um, A lot of times you don't know what's going on in the hearts of your people and Mm -hmm. that can be difficult at times, but in confession, it's a, it's a different space. So a lot, a lot of guys um, feel that way. Yeah. And I think for me, like, so I remember, and I'll talk a little bit more about the support committee in a second, but we had, uh, we had a, what, I had a consecrated woman from um, Madonna House on my on my team, and and I was explaining to them like how you know sometimes it was tough for me to fit in prayer or whatever, and then uh, she asked me, well, what's confession like for you? And I was just kind of she goes, you realize that's prayer, right? 
And I found that such a free, and I found that such a freeing thing to hear. Mm -hmm. Right. But I agree. Like, I think for confession, like there's, I mean, there's obviously the joys. It's a really a place of spiritual battle, of spiritual freedom, of all the whole human drama in like a very condensed form. And that's why for me, like, there's also sadness sometimes when like maybe where I'm like where I'm at a parish, which is smaller. Absolutely. So, but so people just don't come to confess. I just don't get as many confessions like I did at the cathedral. I'm at the cathedral. I was like listening to confessions every day. And I loved it, and it would brought me life, and it's exhausting and life giving at the same time. Mm-hmm. And working with people and battling through things with them, and 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 offering a little bit of spiritual direction with them, and and I mean that was actually one of the great fruits of confession at the cathedral. Is I ended up getting a lot of spiritual directees through that while I was there, mm, and I yeah. found it a lot of. I found like you learn by doing this stuff, and you get better at doing it by just doing it. Absolutely, um, there's a lot. There's, like we we say often, there's not a training manual for a lot of stuff. You just kind of learn by doing. But confession has been that place where I just encounter the authentic human heart of people, and to try to give them that freeing balm of the gospel mm. that says you are not your sin, and no matter how often you fall into this sin, God wants to redeem you and to save you from this. So never tire of coming. Definitely for me, too, I think it's rooted in this idea that I've had good experiences of confession myself. My first confession was really good. Great, amazing experience that I've never forgotten. And confession has always been very important to me as a confessee as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that speaks to, like, a a reason why a lot of guys want to be priests is because Mm -hmm. they've fallen deeply in love with Jesus Christ. And in large part, that is because of different priests in their life so the idea of like oh i would love to do this Mm -hmm. for someone else uh that's part of the appeal and the draw and the tug on the heart toward priesthood so actually getting to do that for other people or like when you give um like i love first confessions Mm -hmm. um for like little kids because i can i know i'm gonna go in there and be nice to those kids i know they're going to have a first experience of confession that is good and that brings me a lot of joy that I can do that for those people. So, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So um, that's definitely been a joy. Um, I'll say, too, that one of my honestly, like when I was in seminary, I struggled. I did struggle with loneliness for a variety of reasons and especially on my internship here. Mm-hmm. And so that was always a fear of mine. I think maybe once or twice when I've gone to some friends weddings, not loneliness, but just recognizing that there is a good that they're entering that I can't enter. Yeah. Right. But. I say this honestly, and I've been really amazed by this, and I think it might just be a grace of God for whatever reason. (laughs) I've never felt a day of loneliness as a priest. I said it before on the podcast, but not one day of loneliness at all. In fact, like when I have an opportunity to have like a night home by myself, I'm like, I take advantage of it. I'm like, oh, yes, please. I've actually, I've had to learn to quell my extroversion a little bit as a priest. Um, But um, that was, um, that was a surprise to me. And I, and in a good way, like in a, a grace from God that He provided for something, I wasn't sure how that would work out. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that was my experience in seminary as well. There were a lot of uh, nights and days and weeks where I experienced a deep kind of loneliness. But mm-hmm. for me, that was coming from either avoiding problems in my life or avoiding wounds and not allowing them to be healed. But over the course of eight years, that kind of slowly slipped away, and in the priesthood. I haven't had those experiences that I had in seminary, um, right. not near, not at all in the same way. And a lot of that is due to the fact that I have people I can reach out to. I right. um, know much better how to take care of myself. So like the whole like looming ghost of loneliness, I've only been ordained three years, but that hasn't been so much a factor for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, the, so it actually raises a question is, what are we how what would actually maybe maybe that's something that says something about seminary culture that needs to be not reformed but really kind of looked at because it's, it's actually it's interesting more and more in the priesthood i'm hearing like yeah loneliness in seminary no in priesthood and so that tells me like what are we how because like i think sometimes like seminaries like my seminary was really good jet sure. you know generally really really good and the they had a principle that they they wanted to see how you handle your freedom yeah right that was my major seminary same deal and i think that's really i actually i think that's the health that's what we need to do today because we're so quickly on our own Mm -hmm. the problem does become though is that if you got a lot of guys in seminary who 
well, their idea of their free time or whatever is to go to their room at, after dinner and not talk to anyone, which is the way a lot of seminarians act. Sure. You can be sitting around like, and you were desiring community. There's not like, I think maybe we could, we should be structuring community as being more organically important to the life of seminary. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of a story a friend told me once um, of how just really just kind of lonely in uh, college. And he remembered sitting on a park bench, just hoping someone would come talk to him, hoping a girl would come talk to him. And of course, this only increased his loneliness because like you have to be the one to make that effort. And for some of us, it's a very difficult effort to go out there to make relationships. If you're introverted or if you're struggling with something like depression, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. But um, you have to put in that effort. But I think the other thing of why we struggle with this more in seminary is because in seminary, you are first dealing with what you're leaving behind. And that takes a while to really right. leave it behind. That's like the, the, I think a lot of the pain in a seminarian is because he hasn't quite left behind the dream or the, and a lot of times it's a, it's a false dream. A lot of times it's this very rosy colored dream of like being a father or um, falling in love with a good mm-hmm. Catholic girl. You haven't let that part of you die yet. Yeah. And that's what causes so much torment. And it's tough because you don't have what you're looking for yet. You don't have the priesthood yet. So you're just experiencing the loss and you're still yeah. kind of clinging to that old life. And I think that's what causes a lot of loneliness in seminary. Like you have to let the past die, yeah, kill it if you point. have to yeah. and embrace. Because the Lord, like even in seminary, the Lord's going to give you great graces and good friendships yeah. um, if you make yourself available to it. So I and think that's part you, of it too. Yeah. And you're going to have to like, that's, it's time of discernment, which means the question of marriage will come up to you in seminary. Yeah, right? absolutely. And sometimes even, yeah, so the, you have to wrestle with those questions and say, is this um, is this what God, not what I want, is this what God wants for me? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but I, um, so one thing that I was not very good at in seminary, or that I didn't take advantage of in seminary, that I wish, and I, I'm, for anyone who's in seminary right now, I hope you heed my advice in this because it's it's taken me till being a pastor to actually learn this lesson and see how important it is. Um, I didn't take advantage of really forming a habitual like when I say for okay when I say forming a habitual life of prayer. Obviously, I prayed my breviary when I was in seminary, and like and you grow into that too, right? They're not asking sure. you to pray the whole office every day. They but you usually pray morning prayer and evening prayer in community, maybe night prayer if you're a younger guy too. Um, you have mass every day, and there's adoration and other things, but they leave it the rest of it largely to yourself. And again, that's a good thing. Um, but I didn't take full advantage of that. Sometimes I would pray. I'd pray kind of whenever I felt like I needed it or wanted it. And I mean, I, I'm not again. I'm not saying I didn't pray in seminary. Right. Or I didn't have the. I didn't strive to do it every day. It's just I didn't strive to build a habit out of it. Yeah. Right. And and I say this because as a pastor, and I was even sharing this with our course that we're leading on prayer last night. I said. I'm realizing more and more how one of the principal roles and actions of a priest is to pray for his people. Yeah. To intercede. Like this is part of priesthood is it's a role of intercession. And so if it's a role of intercession, you need to actually not just devote, not just like, like I'm starting to realize it's not just about saying master breviary and doing a holy hour. It's actually even more mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm like, I, I hate this, like not hate to say it, but I mean like I'm starting to get this weight on me that says, should I be praying like two to three hours a day in the church mm, for my people? Because I don't know, it's just it's getting on my heart a lot, and I haven't figured out the answer to that question. But at the same time, that if you're going to do that, it means actually having to say no to people, reducing activities and stuff like that to do that, which is a hard thing to do because we feel so stretched and so. You know, if there were four priests in this parish, it'd be very easy for me to do that as a pastor. Yeah, but there isn't. I'm one guy. So how do I? But it's just that's on my heart more and more. I need to pray more than just a holy hour every day. And like I'll be honest, I'll be honest. Like I love the holy hour, and I'll be honest. Maybe there's I'm at that point now where I'm like there's probably one or two days a week where it might not get fitted in. Sure. Okay. But it's way better now than it was even when I started my priesthood, right? And I think that, and I think I say this honestly because I think for a lot of priests, we we we're learning as we're learning our priesthood how important prayer is to it. And we actually start developing these habits, both in seminary and in priesthood, and we're growing in it. And it also helps us understand what our people are going through when they're trying to grow in it as well. 
Yeah, because I think it's like in seminary, you can succeed in air quotes without prayer. Yep. If you're a decent student, if you show up on time, if you don't cause a ruckus in any sort of major way, you don't, um, you know, uh, break things in your room or you don't get super drunk uh, for like fraternity nights or something like that, Mm -hmm. you can succeed in a sense without prayer. Mm -hmm. And that can lull you into a uh, false sense of security. The one thing that really struck me early on about priesthood is that you cannot do ministry without prayer exactly you get you will get drained so quickly you will fall so quickly yeah Uh, and so that has been the motivation for prayers like because you literally can't do it without prayer whereas in seminary on the surface you can do it so that that's a major shift yeah so just that's my encouragement if you're in seminary right now take advantage of the freedom you have to form a habit of prayer trust me it'll be for your good because what uh, will happen is you won't be able to pray the same way. But like, yeah. so for example, I've been working out for years pretty regularly. Once I hit um, parish life, parish life doesn't allow me for a regular schedule. But because I had formed that habit, I had the desire to somehow figure out a way to get in the exercise. Because I, it became a thing where I actually desire that exercise. Whereas when you're first forming that habit or for your on and off, exercise is always kind of a burden. But if, like you said, you form that prayer life consistently in seminary, mm-hmm. even though it's going to look very different in priesthood, you'll have that desire to well, make maybe, it a priority. So it, right. it's we'll do it we'll definitely this and then maybe just a little kind of overview of things. But you know, at the same time, I've recognized that there's some weaknesses and there's some sadnesses. I would say at play. I mean, one of the things I would always, I we've said multiple times on the podcast is, I really feel like we're we're filling holes too quickly in the church today by putting able-bodied people into parish leadership without much experience. Sure. And I don't, I'm able to survive it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I don't know if this is the right move um, because it can really create, I don't know, I just, I think we need to be asking some deeper questions about how are we going to address the needs of the, and thinking not thinking outside the box maybe a bit more about like, okay, Maybe we don't need to follow. Maybe we don't need to do normal parish structures as much, or we give guys assignments that they're assisting in. I don't know. We just got to think outside the box because making priests pastors too quickly is not a good move. Well, just let me say something, and this is yeah. not a judgment of you at all. You shouldn't be a pastor at five years. No, no priest should be. No, because exactly. you're still like like it's my third year, and I'm still just very beginning learning what priesthood is even all right. about exactly and to be thrown into the job of being a pastor is is you know i'm sure you've already experienced it god giving you extra graces to help you out in this you know impossible situation but it's definitely not the ideal and i know guys i know guys who have burned out real quick because they were made a pastor too soon yeah um so yeah it's not it's not a good thing but the thing is a lot of times like, i don't want to this isn't anyone in particular's fault, but to change those structures to be more healthy for um, a priest and the people requires a cultural change that a lot of Catholics aren't willing to go through. Because one, we don't like any kind of change and cultural change is the most difficult kind of change. So yeah. um, Yeah. It's something to consider. If if we're going to change things so that priests can stay healthy in terms of like their spiritual life and everything else, uh, it's going to be a suffering for the laity as well. Yeah. Because like, we haven't we haven't given enough priests to the church. Yeah. And like I definitely want to say like every vocation has its has its difficulties. And a lot of times mm-hmm. when you're in marriage and you have another kid and you're not ready for it, you're thrown into this thing and you have to deal with it. Or a lot of people have very difficult jobs. Um, so I want to acknowledge all of that, mm-hmm. but also to say sometimes I've seen this critique on the internet, priests, why do you complain so much? Your job is so easy. And to that, I'm like, you don't, you really don't understand. You haven't heard the things I've heard in confession. Yeah. You haven't experienced the desire um, for people to love Jesus Christ in a deep way. And seeing when that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. the interpersonal is physically exhausting and not just psychologically because we're complex and integrated human beings with spirit, soul, body, psycho- mm-hmm. psychology. It is a beautiful and wonderful job. And I love it. I love how freaking crazy it is. It's amazing. But it's also incredibly difficult. And a few wrong steps can lead you down a wrong road where you will hurt other people if you don't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's hard to explain if you haven't lived it. 
uh, which is why it's so important to have good priest friends because mm-hmm. unless you're ordained, you just don't get this. Yeah. Um, but even if you don't get it, you can have a respect for it. Just like I won't get a lot of things about marriage, but after getting to know a lot of married people, I can have a respect and reverence for it. Yeah. And so like, I think that's another, I'd say like another little sadness where I'm, I mean, I'm grateful for stuff like the, the priest DM and stuff like that. But I mean, I have one, I mean, I, and I do have good priest support here in a way. Like I've got a good friend who was a classmate. He's about an hour away. We talk a lot. My mentor who I talk to him a lot, but like a lot of priests have like small groups that they can get in, get together with every month. I don't really have that. And I kind of yeah. wish I did. And because if you had again, a priest small group in your diocese, it would literally be all the priests in your diocese. <laughs> at this point, yeah, I mean, like, and we're so spread out, we're so overworked that, and we're like, literally spread out. We're, it can be six hours for some people in this diocese to get to Victoria or whatever. So it's like it's not like I can just drive over and say, "Hey, it takes mm-hmm. a full day," right? So you have you have that sadness too. Uh, a couple weaknesses is I am like I'm just realizing all the time, I am horrible at self organization. Hey, yeah, join the club. I don't know if I'll ever get good at this. You probably won't. I wish I could. You'll probably get better. Yeah. But, I mean, this is the thing. I don't want to, like, tell you how things are going to be because I don't know. But, like, I I came to this after I was late for a mass Sunday. And (laughs) um, uh, I said mass and everything was fine. But you know what? I don't have to be good at everything. I need to be passable at most things. Sure. And I can get to that point. But there'd be some things in our personality where, I, I'm sorry, I'm just not your priest for this situation. Like, I'm there for you, I'm your father, but I'm not going to be an expert in this. And I think I need to come to peace with that. I think for other aspects in other priest's life, you can come to peace with the fact that, you know what, there are going to be some things I'm really good at. I'm mm-hmm. a freaking pro at this. But other things, they're always going to be a struggle, and they're always going to be a cross. And I think that's okay as long as we're, you know. So, uh, functional. Yeah. And I think that's fair. So that's one of those cultural changes I think needs to happen then because I think too often the lady expect us to be good at all things. Yes. There, I mean, you might think we don't have it, but trust me, the, because you're not the only one speaking to us, right? Everyone's yeah. speaking to us. And then everyone's you're saying, you should, be able to, you should be able to do that. Not. You should be able to do this. You should be able to do yeah. that. And I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. just like, I'm just learning how to read a budget balance sheet. Like, just give me a break here for a bit. <laughs> and, or how do you develop, you know, parish quote unquote vision and like, our direction forward and how we're going to evangelize or whatever. Right. And it's like, you have a million voices coming at you and you're like, and everyone says this, what you should be. Mm-hmm. And it's, you have to, it's about getting comfortable with saying, what am I, what am I called to be? Not what do people want me to be? Mm-hmm. And that takes time. And it's like, yeah, it's like that self-organization thing. It's like, I recognize I'm not good at it. I'll get better at it. But, um, I'm going to make mistakes in terms of self. I'm not, I'm good with the calendar stuff at least <laughs> generally. Yeah. I've never, I've never missed a mass or shown up late at least, but in terms of like getting paperwork done and administration, sure. right. This falls into administration and stuff like that. I mean, at the same time, I've actually recognized one of the beautiful things about being a pastor here, at least as a smaller parish, there's actually not a ton of administration that needs to be done. True. It's, it's more pastoral work. Like I was out for coffee with someone for an hour and a half this morning and stuff like, like it's more out busyness than, desk busyness generally yeah. but like i also need to remember scheduling time to sit in the office to check emails so they don't gather to be 100 yeah mm-hmm. right so the other i mean it's a little i'll be i want to i know i'm going a little long here but um quickly um balance is really hard to balance yeah <laughs> as a priest because again all the different demands but this is i'd say this has been the hardest one as a and this is more as a pastor than as a priest because when i was an assistant i'm like oh yeah just go talk to father john just go talk to father john he'll take care of it. he's the pastor <laughs> yeah, um, yeah now i'm the guy who makes where the buck stops mm-hmm. and i would honest i honestly mean this like it actually i'm like oh get making me a little emotional now um one of my greatest sadnesses is all the bitterness complaining self-righteousness of people in parishes mm-hmm. like the childishness of some sure. people and it breaks my heart. It really does. Like, because I think, like, sometimes I'm like, this bitterness is going to keep you from heaven. <laughs> yeah, you, you will meet people like that. Yeah. I meet them all the time. And it really yeah, sad. I met I one last week. <laughs> I, 
they'll shake your hand after mass and they'll complain about something. They'll hold on to your hand long enough so they can get their complaint off and then they'll let go and walk away so you can't say anything back. Exactly. Like, it's like, I'm like, and you, and I don't think people realize every complaint tears a priest down so much. Like there is a place and a time to speak honestly your frustrations about things. But don't lambast them after mass with something. Don't ask, like, make an appointment to sit down with them or something like that. Like, don't, like, and don't get all in a tizzy about what's in your head about things. Like, just, speak honestly and openly and and also like and i think this is something like because i was hearing from a priest somewhere else where he's helping out with a new parish he was saying like he goes he, some of the parishes don't agree with some of his decisions he goes my gosh they're so respectful of the decision in the end they speak their piece they say what they need to say and then they respect the decision this is not a this is something if you want to keep priests sane, we need to be more respectful of their decisions Sure. I'm serious. I'm serious because, like, otherwise, all we get is complaints. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And it, it tears us down and it gets and it makes us sad. Because we yeah. love you. Because we it, love you. Okay. Well, here's the thing. I was literally just talking about this with my spiritual director. I'll share some of the reflections yeah. and it's okay if we go long. We can do whatever yeah. we want. Because um, <laughs> we're priests, we can do whatever we want. Um, uh, so, a few things. One, like, a priest that cares, his heart will be vulnerable period mm-hmm. and so because father harrison you care because i care because the priests we know care that stuff is gonna wound us absolutely mm-hmm. and the people and there are people out there who just want to cause you pain and move on with their life and they'll be the same people who go to mass sunday after sunday um and it's also important to remember that people their default is to work out of their fears and out of their needs so when you're in self-preservation mode when you're working out of your fears and your needs you're not going to see the other person as another person um, and to acknowledge that and also to realize that there are some people that are not going to be rational and you want to have a rational conversation with them, but they will not do that. And that will drive, you know, uh, that will drive us crazy. But the other thing for me that I need to do is there are times when people will say great positive things. The mm-hmm. other day, it blew me away. I told um, everyone around me as soon as it happened, a parishioner called me just to say thank you and to thank the staff and how good we were doing hmm. it blew my freaking mind yeah because no one ever calls just to no do one that, ever right? does that but the thing is a lot of people think that so a lot of times it's easier for us to focus on the the negative voices and to dismiss the positive voices that's mm-hmm. what i do a lot and so to realize that there are those positive voices out there those moments where god lets you know that yeah you're doing a good job to really accept them Mm-hmm. And the the big struggle for me, I think for a lot of people is like, it doesn't matter how other people see me. It matters how God sees me. That right. time I was late for mass, I was beating myself up. I hated it, I, but I had a little bit of time. So I grabbed some coffee before my next mass. I sat down in the chapel. And as soon as I sat down, it was like this voice said from God, I'm not mad at you. Yeah. So yeah. why do you care if other people are mad at right. you? Right. So there's a spiritual thing that we can work on as well. Yeah. But yeah, when you get support and you get those outside confirmations as well, it's really important to accept them. At, yeah. Okay. So that's good. Those yeah. are my reflection on what you yeah. said. I think because that like, stuff is important. Yeah. Because I think, and people say, oh, yeah, that's like family life. I'm like, yeah, but take family and multiply it by, you know, 300 children. Right. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and like, it's one thing when your six-year-old is acting yeah. irrationally and gets angry and says, you're the worst mom ever. Okay. That's one thing. It's another thing when like a 40, 50-year-old man or woman does that to you because yeah. you're like, you should be better by now. But yeah. the thing is- You should be, you're acting like you're five, not 50. But this is also, this is what it means to be a priest. We are going to be dealing with wounded people all the Absolutely. time. Yeah. And so, like, that's part of the thing that I'm learning. How do you love people that don't want to be loved? Right. Uh, how do you hang on the cross for them? Um, right. This is the thing the Lord has been teaching me. And, like, you've only been ordained five years. I've only been ordained in three years. Like, this, I think this gets, like, the heart of it. Like, how yeah. do you love these difficult people? Because that's what thing. Christ does. We could, we could shut off. Yes, and priests do. They shut down. We could say, I will see you at Mass, and that's all. And I'm going to go upstairs for the rest of the day. And people listening, you know priests like this. You've had them as pastors And before. often they do it because they've been hurt so much. Do you know, mm-hmm. like, I think one of the biggest sadnesses is how many, how much priests get hurt over and over again from parishioners who, for whatever reason, can't see outside of their own box or whatever. And thank God they still remain vulnerable, but they close up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right? Or totally. Like, or totally. 
I mean, I know, I, th- I would say most like I've even noticed I'm like, man, I've I'm not as extroverted as I used to be. Part of it, I think, like I said earlier, it's I have to learn how to process things on my own. Yeah. But at the same time, I recognize I'm like, I've been hurt by people unnecessarily, mm-hmm. and I and I hey, listen, because here's the other thing, I recognize too that I've done things sometimes that have hurt people. Yeah. And one of the big, when I think one of one of the things I always promise to do, and I I do it, is when I recognize I did a wrong. I email, I phone, whatever, right away and say, I'm sorry I did this. It was wrong of me. Even if there's a bigger situation where maybe, the, you know, everything else is right, you need to mm-hmm. apologize for the wrong. Yeah. And it's important because that's what a good father would do that. Exactly. Right? We're human beings too, but, you know, priests get hurt. And we, but we're trying hard to love and we're willing to be hurt because we want Jesus to save you. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the heart of the priesthood. Mm-hmm. to sacrifice ourselves for the salvation of the souls of the people we have charge over. And despite that little kind of sadness at the end, I would never change it for anything in the world because it is worth being crucified for so that even just one soul in your parish could be saved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you, everything you said, I, I completely agree with. And also like, I would never want to be anything other than a priest. Yeah. Um, you know, there are so many moments of like incredible beauty and people letting you into the most difficult parts of their life. Even sometimes suffering with somebody is such a beautiful, powerful experience that I am I, I am grateful for. Yeah. A lot of the ordinary stuff, like after this, I'm going to go and uh, hang out because we have our staff appreciation. And mm-hmm. I hate big gatherings of people, but even stuff like that, I've grown to love and appreciate because you get to know other people. Um, a parishioner, uh, I made a little bit of a goof. I accidentally flipped the profession of faith and the intercessions the other day. And I joked about it. It didn't bother me much. Mm-hmm. But one parishioner, and he's built a relationship with me, kind of just jabbed me about it, but in like a totally loving kind of like family sort of way. And I laughed and it was amazing. So like even like little normal human interactions, getting to meet all these people, uh, it's it's a beautiful one for life. I would not trade it for a second. I've never regretted it. Amen. Cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And if you could uh, maybe say an extra prayer for me today on on the fifth anniversary, uh, I I would greatly appreciate that. Maybe. I'm telling them, you have to say a prayer. If you are listening to this podcast, you're going to say a prayer for Father Harrison. At least one Hail Mary. And say a prayer for Father Anthony, too. Yay. Yeah. Um, So thanks for listening. Uh, You can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and uh, iTunes podcasts. And everywhere you listen to podcasts, please leave a review there. That's how it helps people find us. Please tell your friends about the podcast and tell your enemies too because Jesus said you must love your enemies. You can find me at FR Harrison on Twitter. You can you find can... Father e- Anthony in communion at the Eucharist at Mass. Right? I was going to say, this is going to be my new bit. So okay. can I do my bit? Yeah, yeah, you can do your bit. You Sorry. can find me on the road traveling between seven different church buildings. Uh, you can find the podcast at Clerical Pod on Twitter and Clerically Speaking on Facebook. You can email us, clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. God bless. Peace.